Good morning and Happy New Year, citizens. My name is Justin Coe. Our scripture reading today comes from Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13 in the NIV. This is the reading of God's word. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. Well, again, Happy New Year, everyone. Uh, you know, I remember talking to some of you at the beginning of 2020 about your New Year's resolutions, and you all had grand visions of what you wanted to accomplish, places you wanted to travel, career moves you wanted to make, but... I can already tell our expectations have significantly decreased in 2021. We're saying things like, you know, it would be pretty great to eat at a restaurant at some point this year, or it would be pretty awesome to be able to shake someone's hand or just have a cup of coffee with a friend. And that's pretty much where we are now, but uh, in some sense, I think it's good because I think it's teaching us to appreciate the simple joys of life that we once took for granted. Uh, but with that, I want to jump into the word for today. And uh, in light of the new year, our church is launching a new sermon series to kind of set the tone for 2021. And when I was thinking through what kind of a series would be most helpful for our church, uh, something that came to mind were the midweek prayers that we started back in the month of December, uh, where a group of us would gather together every Wednesday night and just share prayer requests and pray for one another. And I thought that was such a great way for us to close out 2020 together as a church, uh, especially because it had been such a difficult year for all of us, and there were just so many things to pray for. And I felt like we'd all reached that breaking point when we just felt like there was nothing left to do but pray. But as I was thinking about that, I realized that this is often the way we approach prayer at the end, as a last resort. Right? It's the thing we turn to after we've tried everything on our end, after we've attempted to fix things on our own. And while God is gracious to hear our prayers whenever we pray them, I thought, you know what? Perhaps this time around, what if we started the year off with prayer? What if we stepped into 2021 saying, God, no matter what this year brings, no matter how crazy things get, I trust you. You're in control. And as I began to look through scripture at all the different passages about prayer, God kept bringing me back to this simple prayer found in Matthew 6, most commonly known as the Lord's Prayer. And for the past week, I've been praying this every morning when I wake up and every night when I go to sleep. It's probably the most famous prayer in the Bible. It's a prayer that many of us learned when we were kids and even now could probably recite without thinking. And I find it so interesting that when the disciples ask Jesus, how should we pray? Jesus doesn't give them this super complex, grandiose prayer. You know, I used to envy those people who could pray beautiful prayers, right? Who just had a way of putting words together. Like level one was being able to use other names for God instead of the common ones. Matchless creator, king of kings, prince of peace. Right? And then you were next level if you could throw in a Bible verse here and there because that made you look really holy and, and spiritual. And the more obscure the Bible verse, the better. God, in the book of Obadiah, you tell us that the pride of our hearts has deceived us. Right? And we all know people who pray like that. And if you're one of them, all the more power to you. 
but I have to say that these days, the prayers that really speak to my heart are the simple ones. You know, I lead our youth group Bible study every Sunday, and recently one of our students prayed, Thank you, Jesus, for loving me. And it was so simple, yet so profound. And yet this is exactly how Jesus instructs his disciples to pray. In fact, the very context of this prayer is that it's given uh, in the middle of a conversation Jesus is having with his disciples about hypocrites who love to stand in front of others when they pray, who love to be seen, uh, people who just repeat meaningless words over and over again. And Jesus says, don't pray like that. Prayer isn't a performance. It's a conversation between you and God. It's honest. It's simple. And when we actually stop and think about every phrase in the Lord's Prayer, we realize, number one, how little we've actually paid attention to the words we were saying. And number two, as simple as this prayer is, it's actually packed with theological truth. And so we're calling this series, Teach Us to Pray. And each week, we're basically going to unpack this prayer phrase by phrase. And we're going to look at various texts in Scripture that help us understand the significance and the depth of this age-old prayer. Now, for today, uh, as an introduction to this series, I kind of want to zoom out and look at this prayer as a whole. Because I think taken together, uh, there's a lot that it teaches us about what it means to live as a follower of Jesus. Now, keep in mind... Uh, Jesus isn't saying that this is the only way you should pray. He's not giving this to the, to the disciples saying, you know, these are the exact words you have to pray every time. No, he's saying this is a model for prayer. This is a blueprint for how we should pray. And the first thing you'll notice is that this prayer opens with the words, Our Father. And Jesus is very intentional about that. It kind of sets the tone for the whole prayer. And then you'll notice that the prayer is divided into two parts, each part consisting of three petitions. In the first part of the prayer, which is verses 9 and 10, you have the petitions, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay? So this first half of the prayer is focused primarily on God. We're asking God to magnify His name, His kingdom, and His will. Right? Then in the second half of the prayer, we see a shift. In verses 11 to 13, the petitions move from God to us. And the three petitions found here are, Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And then lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Okay? So in this sense, the second half of the prayer now moves from God and focuses on our needs. We're asking God for His provision, His forgiveness, and His protection over us. Now, what does this general structure show us about the nature of prayer? And I want to point out three things. Number one, prayer teaches us to be like children. And I'm going to talk a lot more in depth about this next week uh, when we go over the phrase, Our Father. But I don't think we realize just how profound it is that Jesus opens his prayer this way. Like up to that point, nobody called God Dad. You wouldn't dare do that. It was disrespectful. There were a hundred names you would use to address God before you called him dad. And yet Jesus says, this is how you should address God as your father, which immediately makes us his children. And there are so many layers to that analogy. You know, when you think about children, uh, how children relate to their parents, there are several things that come to mind. One is dependence, right? Kids can't do anything on their own. 
Those of you with newborns or young children know this very well. Your kids can't feed themselves. They can't clothe themselves. They can't wipe themselves on their own. They need you to survive. And as a parent with two young kids during a pandemic, uh, as much as I can't wait for the day my kids can just go to the fridge and make themselves lunch, I know there's going to be a part of me that dies a little when that happens. I mean, already they're saying things like, I got it, daddy. And it's like a dagger to my heart every time. I mean, in my mind, I know they don't got it, but I'm watching them start to assert their independence. And I think often we do this in our relationship with God. As we get older and more successful and more educated, perhaps more jaded, there's a part of us that subconsciously starts to feel like we got it, that we don't need God anymore to navigate the challenges of life, the challenges of work and family, but we know this isn't true. Like we should know by now that it doesn't matter how intelligent we are, how prepared we are, how much money we have in our bank accounts, we are not in control of our lives. You know, I read a quote this week by author and professor Barbara Brown Taylor who said, we don't lose control of our lives. What we lose is the illusion that we were ever in control in the first place. We do not lose control over our lives. What we lose is the illusion that we were ever in control in the first place. And isn't that so true? And this is why prayer is so important. Every time we approach God as a child saying, Father, it takes us out of the illusion that we're in control. It forces us to stay like children. It forces us to regularly be reminded that we aren't self-sufficient that we aren't strong enough to take care of ourselves or our loved ones, and that might make you feel like you're failing in life. I get it. But there's a reason Jesus is always telling his followers that they have to become like children to inherit the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because it's in our weakness that his strength is made perfect. Okay? Now, related to that, I think another thing that comes to mind when we think about how children relate to their parents is honesty. Right? Our kids, they, they wear their emotions on their sleeves. They tell you when they're scared. They tell you when they're sad. They tell you when they're upset. My kids, they just start screaming or throwing things. Right? Kids, they don't play games or put up fronts or try to act stronger than they are. You know who does that? Adults. And this is the posture Jesus is showing us in the Lord's Prayer. A posture that's able to say, God, I'm scared about the future. I'm upset. I'm bitter. I have a bone to pick with you. It's a posture that understands that we don't have to play games with God because he knows what we need even before we say it. Okay, so number one, prayer teaches us to be like children. Number two, prayer teaches us to see the eternal in the everyday. Uh, one thing you'll notice about the two halves of this prayer is that it brings together the extraordinary and the ordinary. Right? You go from your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Such a huge, grand statement. And then the very next verse is give us this day our daily bread. You go from all the way up here to all the way down here. But I think that's intentional. I think Jesus wants us to connect these two together. He wants us to see all things, even the seemingly trivial things, as sacred and holy. A John Piper, pastor and author, says this, 
There's a correspondence between the content of this prayer and the content of our lives, the big and the little, the glorious and the common, the majestic and the mundane, the lofty and the lowly. That's the way this prayer is, iridescent with eternity and woven into ordinary life. You know, last week I watched Pixar's most recent release, Soul, and I truly don't know how Pixar just pumps these tearjerkers out, but this one in particular got me real good. And without giving too much away, uh, basically this movie revolves around a middle school music teacher named Joe Gardner, who is an aspiring jazz musician trying to get his big break. I think a lot of people here in LA can relate to his life. And he's this guy who's just constantly searching for this sense of meaning and fulfillment. And he just feels like there's this silver bullet out there that if he just finds it, he'll have found his purpose. And in his obsession to discover his purpose, he finds himself missing and often taking for granted the simple joys that actually make life worth living. And this is the beauty of the Lord's Prayer. It brings the weight of eternity to bear on the everyday. You know, especially in a city like LA where we're all busy trying to become someone or accomplish something or go somewhere, it's so easy to miss God in the ordinary, mundane moments of our lives. But if this prayer teaches us anything, it's that God is always there. He's there in every Zoom conversation. He's there when you're taking your morning walk. He's there in those brief, quiet moments you have with your spouse after you put your kids down. And believe it or not, it's often in these extremely humble, ordinary moments that we might discover the seeds that will one day burst forth to produce massive change and transformation in our lives and the lives of others. If there's anything 2020 has taught us, it's to appreciate the simple gifts of grace we're given every day. You know, when you don't have exotic places to travel to or fancy restaurants to eat at, you're just kind of forced to find beauty and comfort in the small things. And I think all of us realized how much we had taken this life that had been given to us for granted. So number one, prayer teaches us to be like children. Number two, prayer teaches us to see the eternal in the everyday. And finally, prayer teaches us to see God's glory as our good. What do I mean by this? This is where I think the order of the prayer is extremely important. You know, we often focus on the second half of the prayer, the part about us our needs, our desires, our pursuits, not realizing that all of these things should be shaped by the first half of the prayer. That if we live for His name and His kingdom and His will, then we will find everything our hearts truly need and desire in this life. You see, we often feel like God isn't for us. Like, how can you say that God is for my good when I'm at this job that I don't like? When I'm in this relationship that I feel like is falling apart, when I'm not accomplishing the goals I set for myself, and we say, what's the point of asking for His provision and His protection when He doesn't ever give me what I want? And my question for you today is, what do you want? Is it what's found in the first part of the prayer? The part that says, hollow would be your name? The part that says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Because unless that's what you want, you will always feel like God is not delivering on His promises. 
You see, we often use prayer to conform God to our agenda, and yet the way this prayer is structured shows us that the purpose of prayer is to conform ourselves to God's agenda. And I guarantee you, once you realize that living for God's glory is your greatest good, it will completely change the way you view your life. You will begin to see everything you have as an instrument of God's glory. And get this, you will begin to see everything you don't have as an instrument of God's glory. Because it's often what we don't have that will send us into the arms of our loving Father in whom our souls are fully satisfied. As St. Irenaeus once said, the glory of God is man fully alive. This means that in our lowest moments, when we feel like we have nothing left in the tank, we can be confident that we still have everything we need as long as we are seeking God's glory above all things. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Now, how can we be sure of this? Well, you know, it's interesting that this prayer is called the Lord's Prayer, even though Jesus Himself never prayed it. The real Lord's Prayer, the one Jesus Himself prayed, is actually found in John 17. And in John 17, Jesus is praying right before he has to go to the cross. And listen to how the prayer begins. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. Notice he opens with the same word, Father. A word that expresses his intimate relationship with God, that expresses his utter dependence upon him. And then he says, the hour has come. He's saying, I'm about to die. So send me to my death. Why would anyone pray that prayer? Only one who understands that God's glory is his good. And that's why he says, glorify your son that your son may glorify you. He's saying, if glorifying you will cost me my life, then so be it. Send me to my death so that all may see your glory. What a prayer. How many of us could say, if glorifying you will cost me my comfort, so be it. If glorifying you will cost me my career, so be it. And yet here Jesus is saying, I will willingly give my life if that will bring you glory. And on the cross, that's what happens. Because as Jesus hangs there, with all the pain and brokenness of humanity on his shoulders, the glory of God is on full display. We see the justice of God a justice that cannot ignore or disregard wrongdoing. We see the mercy of God, a mercy that gives His only Son for sinners like you and me. We see the power of God over death and darkness. And now, because of Jesus' finished work on the cross, because Jesus glorified God perfectly, you and I, as flawed and broken as we are, can now be instruments of God's glory as well. That when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we can pray it under the covering of Jesus' perfect life and sacrificial death. So friends, as we open this new year together, may we all become like children before our Heavenly Father. May we all learn to bring the eternal into the everyday. And may we all begin to see God's glory as our greatest good. You know, one thing I want to do throughout the course of this series is to close every sermon with the Lord's Prayer. And if you're able, I'd love for you to join me uh, as I pray. 
And my hope is that with every week that goes by, the words of this prayer would begin to carry greater weight for us, that it would begin to shape our hearts and our lives to look more like Jesus. So with that, I'm going to invite you now to bow with me as I close our time today. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.